This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast, Moving Forward in Truth and Love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Uh, There's so much pain and suffering and death as the coronavirus continues to claim victims. The COVID-19 pandemic has severely altered life as we know it. Our daily routines have changed dramatically as millions stay home to work. Millions of others have either lost their jobs or have been furloughed from their place of employment. When there is this kind of disruption in our lives from an evil, we tend to wonder and ask, where is God? How could God allow a pandemic to sweep across the globe and take the lives of so many innocent people? Is this God's judgment? Were these people guilty of some unknown heinous sin? Are those who survived somehow more righteous than those who died? Noted Christian apologist and mathematician Dr. John Lennox has some answers for us. He has more than just answers, but a perspective that puts pandemics, pain, and suffering into context. It is a context of a Christian worldview, obviously. He's written a short book specifically targeting the COVID-19 pandemic and the question of God's sovereignty. The book is aptly called Where is God in the Coronavirus? And Dr. John Lennox joins me now. Welcome, Dr. Lennox. Thank you very much. Well, it is certainly a pleasure to have you on. My first question, though, is there a short answer to the question of where is God in the coronavirus? I mean, people are looking for answers. And so do you have a short answer to this at all? Or is it is it going to be much more involved? I don't think there are any short answers. There are different kinds of answers. Because when we're confronted by something as big as this, some people, especially those who are not suffering, have huge intellectual questions. But people who are suffering from this, often their response is emotional. They need comfort. They need solace. And they need some way of discovering hope. There are no simplistic answers. But I do believe that the Christian faith has a great deal to offer. But certainly you can't do it in a simple soundbite. I, I thoroughly agree. Um, you know, one of the things that I, you talk about is that this is a form of evil. Um, there are a couple of forms of evil. One is natural evil, one is moral evil. But this is a form of natural evil. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is this, that the distinction is helpful. Moral evil is the bad things people do to each other. And we're in a world where there's lots of that. But the word natural evil, which is a bit unfortunate, is talking about things that appear just to happen because of the physical structure of the universe. Tsunamis, cancers, COVID-19, and earthquakes. And so we make that distinction. And it's very interesting from the Christian perspective that Christ himself made the distinction. On one occasion, he was in Jerusalem on the temple mountain, and the crowd around said to him, you know, this is the place where Pilate and his soldiers massacred a group, massacred a group of worshippers. And uh, he said, yes, that's right. And there was also, elsewhere in Jerusalem, the Tower of Siloam that fell on 18 people and killed them. Now, the interesting thing there is the massacre is moral evil. But Jesus thought it was important to bring into the discussion a calamity where a tower fell. It just fell, apparently. No one was responsible, so far as we know. And the interesting thing about this, and it's hugely important in view of what you said earlier, 
is this a judgment of God, which many people ask, that Jesus says, do you think that the people that were affected by these tragedies were sinners above everybody else? And the answer to that is no. Now, this is hugely important, I think, because some people, i sad to say, are very quick to rush to judge and say this is God judging this nation or these individuals and they're worse than others and so on. We need to be hugely careful with that because here is Jesus talking about two incidents. They're, of course, much smaller than the COVID virus and the deaths, but you know, the COVID epidemic or pandemic involves hundreds, if not millions, of smaller tragedies. And Jesus says, no, you cannot deduce from a tragedy that the people directly hit by it are worse than anybody else. That was his first deduction. But there's a second one. Mm -hmm. And it's this. He said, uh, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now, of course, he didn't mean they'd all either be massacred or killed when a tower fell. What he meant, I think, was this, that all tragedy is a wake-up call because it raises questions of death, eternity, and the God question. And C.S. Lewis put it brilliantly years ago when he said, pain is God's megaphone. It's a wake-up call, and I think we're in safe ground if we look at it like that. Here we are locked down. we got to think about the implications of this. And the final point, Lauren, if I may, is when people are judgmental and say this is God's judgment, that does not turn their listeners to inquire about God. It does the opposite. It turns their listeners on them and says, who do you think you are being so arrogant as to think that you know when God is judging people? That is not the Christian response. That's such an interesting point, um, because I just heard that this morning from someone, you know, oh, it's, you know, God's going to judge these people. I hope, you know, they're, you know, they get the virus and they go. Um, but the other point about this natural evil, as opposed to, you know, the moral evil, but God did create this world. Indeed. And so the natural evil is part of his world that he created. How can a good God then allow this sort of natural evil to occur? Well, that's a hard question. Atheists resolve it by saying, forget God. It shows God doesn't exist. That's just the way the world is. And we can talk about that later if you wish. But to come to your direct question, this is the hard question for Christians. And Although I think that we can begin to understand it, if we trace back the fact that there are two kinds of breakdowns that we see, there's a breakdown in moral nature, and that leads to moral evil, but there's a breakdown in physical nature. Now, mm -hmm. the biblical story, whatever we make of it, the biblical story is that when human beings first sin, they introduced human death into the world. Now, of course, that is the way they were created by God in the sense that they were capable of saying no to God. And often people say to me, could God not have made human beings uh, that never went wrong? And I say he could have made beings that never went wrong, but they wouldn't be human. 
because the most wonderful thing about you and me and everybody else as human beings is mm-hmm. we've got this magnificent gift of freedom of choice uh, where we can say yes to God and one another or no to God and one another. That means that love is possible, but you can't have love possible without hate being possible. So that was the origin, very briefly and inadequately put, of moral evil. But what we are told is that the bringing of human death into the world as a result of that meant that sin had a physical effect. And the way Genesis puts it in its very picturesque language was that it filled the world with thorns and thistles. And so we have things like rogue viruses and earthquakes. But even here, we need to be so careful because, and here's a very interesting thing to me, viruses are mostly good and we need them to live. But there appear to be some really rogue ones like COVID-19. It's just like with earthquakes. And I was in New Zealand almost immediately after the earthquake some years ago. And here we have the tectonic plates on the surface of the planet moving. Now, the movement of those plates is absolutely essential for life on Earth to regulate oxygen and all the rest of it. And yet it causes disaster. And so... What I think we're faced with is this. We're faced with a very mixed picture. I went out the other night, looked through my telescope, saw Orion Nebula, spectacularly beautiful. I come in, the news is running, and I see the awful scenes in intensive care units in hospitals around the world. And I say that the picture that's presented to everybody, no matter what they believe, is a mixed one. I call it beauty and bombs, beauty and barbed wire, or beauty and coronavirus. And we have to face that. And you're absolutely right. It's happening in a world that God created. Now, the question that comes up is this. Granted that it's like that, is there any evidence anywhere that there exists a God that we could trust with that? Now, that's a big question. That is a huge, huge question. Before we get to that question, I want to get back to the idea of viruses and explain why they're this COVID-19 or is one of like a, the pathogens, or they're the bad stuff. Explain more about viruses and how they're present in our lives today. Well, listen, I, I'm not a medic. But I simply asked a medical doctor and he said, look, there are thousands of viruses and we have them in us and they're very necessary for life. And I'm just accepting what I'm told by the medics. But uh, this particular biologist actually made the point that relatively few of them are pathogenic in that way. But there are some that are. And It's an example of a breakdown in nature, physical nature, that is. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to take a little break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, welcome back to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. So let's get to this point about why a good God would allow a pandemic to occur among people. Why, how can we, how can we, bring those two things, those two uh, realities, I guess, together? I think that, first of all, my first point was the one I've made, but it's worth emphasizing. 
that we live in a world where bad things can happen at all levels and God permits them to happen. He doesn't directly cause them as we've seen from what Jesus said, but they are part and parcel of what it means to live in a world full of beings like you and me who are capable of loving one another. Now, we look at the pandemic, and the thing that frightens us about it is its huge dimensions. And it's scary because it appears to be transmissible by people who don't even uh, know that they are carrying it. So it's a scary thing. But if you break it down, it's scary to lose a relative. And a pandemic consists of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, though God forbid that that happens, of small tragedies. And the principle is no different from God allowing people to die, loved ones, and so on. For example, if I get killed in a car accident, not through my own fault tomorrow, in that sense, it's happening in the world and God has allowed it. So I've got to come to terms with my own mortality. And that brings me back to the message of this thing. We have to come to terms with death. We are not immortal, although many people believe they are until something happens. And therefore, the other big question that arises, granted that we are mortal, is there any solution to the death problem? Does God offer us anything to cope with that? Now, my book is entitled, Where is God in a Coronavirus World? And it's interesting when people ask me that question, I tend to say to them, where was God in your world before it hit? And that can lead to a very interesting discussion because I fully believe that God is there in the sense that in Jesus Christ, he's offering us uh, a number of very big things. Firstly, peace with God, reconciliation, forgiveness. But above all of those, he does offer us a life that cannot be destroyed by COVID-19. The Bible calls it eternal life. And it would be wonderful if people were getting more interested in that. And there's evidence of it, by the way, because I was talking to someone who is involved in a broadcasting system in 220 languages, and they're reporting a huge interest in the spiritual dimension. And I find it. I mean, my book is going out ebooks a 100,000 in a day. Um, wow. Delivered wow. to South America, which just shows the interest in it. Uh, you bring up the point, and I want to bring this up because I thought this is a really great point about the history of pandemics and plagues in our world. And you start at 165 AD with the Antoine Plague or the Plague of Gallen, which killed about 5 million people, the Plague of Justinian in the year 541, uh, was sort of a precursor to the bubonic diseases, uh, you know, came from, you know, rats, via fleas, 25 million dead. Um, the Black Death, uh, the bubonic plague in the 14th century, estimated 70 to 100 million people um, killed, uh, reducing the population of around 20%. Um, you know, we, of course, we know uh, in the 20th century, the earliest 20th century, the, um, the, the flu pandemic killed probably 50 million people. 
more recently, the Asian flu in the 50s, um, millions or million, Hong Kong flu in the 1968-69, HIV AIDS um, pandemic, which killed at its peak with, you know, between a seven year period, about 32 million people. So we don't have, we have a long history of pandemics and people kind of recovering from it. What we don't have is a long history of people turning to God afterwards, but also the fact that, you know, is COVID-19 different from these other viruses, these other plagues and pandemics, or is it just one and the same? And our reaction to it is different because we have this feeling that because we feel like science, we have science can, 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 can tackle anything. What do you think? Well, first of all, I don't have any statistics on how many people turned to God after the plagues that you listed as occurring historically. But one of the very interesting things is the fact that hospices and hospitals were born out of some of those plagues, and they were set up in the first place by Christians. And one of the emperors, I think it might even have been Justinian, observed that the Christians were utterly incredible because they not only looked after their own people, but they looked after pagan people at great risk to themselves. And in the middle of the bubonic plague, Martin Luther, the reformer, wrote a tract encouraging Christian believers to stay at their posts and help people even at the risk of their own deaths. So there's a real track record of, of Christians doing things there. Now, the second part of your question was, is it different? And I listened to Francis Collins, the director of your National Institutes of Health in the USA, and yeah. he said mm -hmm. a very interesting thing. He said the really scary thing about this virus compared with others is its transmissibility. SARS, for example, that occurred around 18 years ago, it was scary, but you could only get it if you were infected by someone who was desperately ill. The thing about COVID-19 is apparently you can get infected from someone who doesn't even know they're carrying it. So it's a, a silent and invisible killer. And that makes it really different. Secondly, we don't know what the rate of reinfection is or how many people will develop immunity by recovering from it. And of course, there's great hope, particularly here in Oxford, where one of the world's leading teams is working on developing a vaccine. But it does seem to be different. And certainly in our terms, it's different in scale. And because of the advances in medicine, we thought it would never happen to us. And it's caught many of the nations almost completely unprepared and now they're scrambling for medicine, they're scrambling for PPE and ventilators and all kinds of things. And actually, it's wonderful to see the way in which people have rallied around, whether they're Christians or not, to help their fellow citizens and to try and bring some order into what is often a chaotic situation. This is, it's really amazing, though, that even though we're focused on the pain, the suffering, and the death, that there are these sort of silver linings coming out of being of, of humans staying at home. And one of them is the environment seems to be 
uh, be positively affected by us staying home. I think they said 30% uh, less pollution in the air in the Northeast, 49% uh, less in Rome. Um, if there's if there's a wake up call, I mean, is you know, could God be telling us, you know, listen, you know, you've not been good stewards of of the earth. What do you think? Oh, I I think that may be part of it actually. In fact, an expert on ecology said to me that there is some suspicion that this virus jumped from animals to humans in a situation of what's called a wet market where they sell wild animals for human consumption. And this person who's an expert in this said to me, we are meddling with the animal world in such a way that it has consequences for us as humans. And it's just another example of our mistreating the world. And, and therefore, I think you're making a very important point. We need to think again about what we're doing to the planet or else our grandchildren, great-grandchildren will have nothing but desert. Yeah, this is something, a powerful kind of element of, of, of life. And in a sense that even though we're saying that God is not judging us, the Bible makes clear that we, in, in, in a sense, dig our own graves, that we are responsible sometimes for our own misfortunes. Can you expand on that? Oh, well, of course we are. And every situation is complicated. What I said about the incident with Jesus was that we cannot from outside judge exactly what God is doing through something. But any illness could function, it could just happen, or it could be. And the New Testament mentions cases of illness that were due to someone's misbehavior. Corinthians does. On the other hand, um, the disciples had been brought up with, or at least they probably heard some of those karma ideas that you meet a lot today where people say, ah, well, people suffer this because they've misbehaved in a past life. And so the disciples, when they saw the man born blind, they commented and said, Lord, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither of them did. So there's another situation where we need to be very careful. And of course, the karma doctrine appears really cruel when, when you look at it, because in the end, if people are suffering today because of misbehavior in a past life, it's better, according to some uh, versions of karma, to let them suffer. Otherwise, the next life will be even worse. All I would say is that we need to be very careful to second-guess this in the case of other people. But if these things make us think of mortality and God, it's not long before they make us think of, are we really prepared to meet God? And that will raise the question of the way in which we may have messed up our own lives and the lives of others. And that, of course, could bring us to repentance and to faith in Christ, who uniquely has provided a solution to this that will conquer death and COVID-19. Well, you bring up a good point about looking at the idea of the COVID-19 and pandemics or any pain and suffering through the eyes of atheism. Why isn't, uh, why is atheism, in your opinion, not a good way or not a sufficient way 
to look at COVID-19. Well, I admire atheist doctors and nurses. And I must say that right away, they're, they're piling in with everybody else because they value their fellow human beings. But I'm not sure that that evaluation actually is rationally justifiable by their atheism. Richard Dawkins famously said that uh, the universe is just like what you'd expect it to be. If at bottom there's no good, no evil, no justice, DNA just is and we dance to its music. Now, that's a completely deterministic universe without morality. And I don't think he really believes that himself. So that there's no rational grounds based on atheism to value your fellow human beings. But people do it anyway. And I would like to suggest that the reason they do it, atheists or Christians, is that we human beings are made in the image of God. We're moral beings. We've got something hardwired into us, our our conscience that tells us uh, the things that we ought to do. So atheism is unsatisfactory, and I've written quite a number of books explaining that. But let's realize that we may have different reasons for taking risks to help our human fellow human beings. The trouble with atheism, of course, the biggest trouble is it is no ultimate hope because for the atheist death by definition is the end. There's no beating COVID-19. If it kills you, then that's it. There's no future. But Christianity, and this is very near Easter time, and I've been thinking a lot about it, tells us that Jesus not only died on a cross to deal with the problem of sin that's messed everything up, but he rose from the dead to show that he was the son of God and capable of bringing us salvation in terms of new life. And therefore, he guarantees that one day those who trust him will be likewise raised from the dead. Now, that doesn't cause the COVID-19 virus to go away, but it can give people tremendous hope if they close in with that uh, commitment to Christ that can change everything. You know, an atheist probably, I mean, I know you know more of their arguments, but an atheist would say, um, I don't have to have God in my life in order to fight the coronavirus. I don't have to have God in my life to know that this is, this is, this is, this is something that um, should be alleviated in human suffering. What would be your answer to that? Well, I would say they're absolutely right. They don't have to have God in their lives. Uh, to have a conscience, to be moral beings. But the reason they are human beings with a conscience is because, although they don't believe it, it's God has made them that way. This is something that comes from God that they don't recognize. It's just like our food every day. We think we work to get it and so on. But in the end, it's God's bounty that gives us food and jobs and so on. So that I think, in a sense, it's very easy to answer that question. The the real issue is not, do I feel I need God in my life, but is there a God? Because if there is, then in light of what's going on in the world, I need to think through what my relationship is to him, what I think of him. Um, Dr. Lennox, I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. And I just would like to end with just any words that you would like to leave people with about the coronavirus 
about God's plan for ourselves and just the idea that God is still sovereign, uh, despite the fact that, you know, thousands of people have been dying from this from this virus. Well, what I would like to leave you with is a statement right at the end of my book, Where is God in a Coronavirus World? It's advice given by the 19th century preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he wrote this. God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Well, that is that is so powerful. That is so powerful. Um, and the book, again, is called Where is God in the, in the Coronavirus World? Uh, Dr. John Lennox, um, Oxford professor, university professor, also a Christian apologist, uh, incredible mathematician and scientist. Thank you so much for being on um, Lighthouse Faith Podcast. It's my pleasure, and thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Thank you, and thank you all for listening. I'm Lauren Green. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast, featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.